Ver, uh, Psalm 12. I've got all kinds of scriptures this morning. Psalm 12. Here is um, the Williamson's prayer letter. I need to bump up against the one that's out there. Psalm 12. Borrowing a statement that Mr. Bancroft said in his book when we were in bibliology about the canon, canonization of the scripture. <clears throat> The meaning of canonicity, being, in other words, putting it all together. The books that we have. By the, by the canonicity of the scriptures, it is, is, is meant that according to certain and fixed standards, the books included in them are regarded as parts of a complete and divine revelation, which is therefore authoritative and binding in relation to both faith and practice. So in other words, the scriptures that we have are complete. And it's what we base our faith upon, and then that's why he starts out in that particular study. Uh, he starts out with the doctrine of the Bible. And how that we, and he goes through the various things, how that we know, that we know, that we know, and again it's by faith, all of it's by faith, that we trust the Bible to be God's word, and then we base our beliefs on God, the Father, God, the Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, our salvation, which is currently what it says about man before we got to salvation, and then what it says about salvation, and then I think uh, in, in that particular book that we're going through on Wednesday nights, the outline's there, I think he deals with angelology, I think, maybe, maybe not, but I know that he deals with the end times. And all that we believe is based on faith in the word of God. Number one, first and foremost, that we have a complete, inherent, unfallible word of God before us in these 66 books of the King James Bible. Psalm chapter 12, verse number 6. The words of the Lord are pure as silver tried in a furnace of earth. Purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And so his words are pure. His words are perfect. His words are pure. His words are preserved. He said he shall keep these forever from this generation and forever. It's preserved, inerrant, infallible. And everything that we, everything that's in this book is what we base our faith upon. I was, and before we pray, I was reading over here on the church. Now, that's not the Bible, no. But everything in that is based upon the Bible. I had a, there was a deacon when I'm in, my, in the church that I grew up in. He actually took that and he broke it down. And that was our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, he took that and found all the, all the, various uh, principles uh, in the Word of God or found in that church covenant that we covenant together uh, around and he, he brought the principles out that that was based upon out of the Word of God. But the very last thing is if folks ever should leave, that very last statement there, we moreover engage that when we remove from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's Word. And there's because I was looking in the covenant of, of the one of God's word. And so obviously the principles of God's word are based in that covenant. 
And like I said, I've heard it taught when, in my youth, and I know that, that, that they are there and that we do and understand and know that they are based on the principles found in God's Word, which we try to follow, uh, and these precepts. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I need your help today. I ask and pray that you would give me grace and, uh, Lord, uh, a right spirit. I pray and ask that you would just uh, help me to deliver the message you've laid upon me. And, Lord, may, as we go through thy word, I pray that thy word will speak uh, in the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. And we ask and pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Last week we dealt with God's will, both services. Uh, uh, last Sunday morning it seemed like to start it off well, but it just ended in a strange type of spirit. I don't know, I, I left here driving down to Brother Tim's, and Lisa was six last Sunday morning, so she stayed in and was headed down to Brother Tim's and just, you know, just going, what in the world, Lord? And doing a little praying, um, and then I actually prayed coming back for Brother Tim's, and then we hadn't dealt with the reference last Sunday morning out of Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I was re, uh, redirected that afternoon to revisit that, and so we spoke of God's will last Sunday night, and I think it went much better than last Sunday morning, just to be honest, uh, as far as, uh, as the message goes, and so, but we spoke about uh, God's will, and you know, we, we, we've just basically in our introduction, if you want to put it that way, in our uh, preface to the message uh, this morning, talk about our faith in God's Word, you know, and so uh, we, regardless of, of what we believe, it is by faith, and, and we're instructed four times in the Word of God, I know the first one it says here in Habakkuk, it says we shall live by His faith, but Habakkuk 4, 2, 4, behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Romans 1.17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. What is he dealing with? What is therein? If you'll look at the reference, it's talking about the gospel. And inside the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. Referring back to Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith, Galatians 3.11, Paul again writing to the church of Galatia, but, there, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man lack, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So four times here, three times specifically, the just shall live by faith. And that, if we are just... It is, we are justified, it's already been referred to, we're justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. It's, we're justified, and that is the gospel message. So like he said there in Romans, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. In the gospel message that Jesus Christ came and he died, he gave his life uh, for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised again the third day again uh, according to the scriptures. And again, they testified to the witnesses of that. And because of our faith in the gospel message, then we are justified. And we are, uh, in Hebrew, or Galatians 3.11, and we find righteousness of God in our faith in the gospel. And the just shall live by faith not only our faith in the gospel to become just, our faith in the gospel to become righteous, but then post-faith in 
the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in the gospel, in the gospel message, then we shall continue on to live by faith. And in my thinking today and thinking about last week, I thought we have to have faith in God. But again, to have faith in God, we have to have faith in God's word. That number one, this is God's word. That number one, everything he says in his word is what he wants us to know. And that was already referred to. I'm sitting back here going, thank you, Jesus. It's what he wants us to know. This is the reveal. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, which all, it was all the, what we read about in the New Testament, before the New Testament was penned, those men that followed Christ had the Old Testament as their only, uh, as their only scripture. And there were things hid from them. Paul said, I declare unto you a mystery. Peter said it, it was revealed through, to Paul. The disciples that, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus Christ took the law and the prophets and revealed unto them Jesus himself. And their hearts burned within them. And they went and they told the other disciples. They ran back and they told the other disciples. And that began, I mean, you, you, you have to know, though not recorded, you have to know that it was rehearsed among the disciples as he said and as he taught them and as they taught each other that, hey, this is what Christ revealed unto us on the road all about himself, all through the Old Testament scriptures. And then the New Testament was written, letters to the churches, which were canonized. And that's what we, and it, by certain fixed standards, and that's what we have as the book. Not just the book. I can go down to the bookstore. I can go down to, what is some of these bookstores' name? I don't, I don't even go there. I go to Mardale's bookstore, and there's a section on guns. And I can go in that section on guns, and they have the Shooter's Bible. And that's what they call it. The Shooter's Bible. And that word Bible simply means book. If I go over there and get that Shooter's Bible, it's just talking about shooting. But on the stem of most of your Bibles... There's another word there, and it's there not by accident. This is a book without that first word, just a book. But that word holy declares that when you see this on your shelf and you pull it off your shelf, that that book is holy. It's a holy book. And it's what we as Christians put all of our faith and trust in to tell us what about, about God, about his son, about his spirit, about his salvation, about his righteousness, and about his justification and his redemption that we just sing about. Hallelujah. So we not only have faith in, his, in, in God, but we have faith in his will. We did discuss that last week, and we have to have faith in his Word and understand and know that his word, the, the words of the Lord are pure words, as tr silver tried in furnace, 
in the furnace of fire purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. So, not only in his word, faith in in what the word, and there's so much that could be said that I'm going to try to go, I want to say as fast as I can, but I'm going to go and stop where the Lord wants me to stop and, and dwell on the things that God wants me to dwell on, hopefully. I'll be sensitive to him in that way. But faith in his word, and faith in his word, what he, uh, faith in what his word says about creation. Genesis 1 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And we could go on day and day on. Let me go ahead and read. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God said, The light, and God saw the light, that it was good, or yeah, it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night and the evening and the morning were the first day. And upon that statement, the evening and the morning were the first day, began time. God is eternal. Time is irrelevant to God. But time is relevant to his creation. Not only to man, but the rest of the creation. Because he started the time before he made man on the sixth day. There are those that would have you to believe that there's something going on between verses 1 and verse number 2. But what God revealed to us, he wants us to know, is in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the earth. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Why speculate anything else about God's creation? He, he, he moved. There's a, it's called a gap theory, for those that don't know. There's two theories within the gap theory. One, it says between verses 1 and verse number 2, that there was a, a big, super-duper long period of time and a whole another earth, and it fell into sin and was destroyed, and that's why verse 2 says, without form and void. And then there's another part of of creation that people feel and try to justify their gap and try to justify evolution and how evolutional theory falls into creation. And that is, it's more than 24 hours a day. The evening and the morning were the first day. And they want to put that as periods of time, like millions of years, but it's 24 hours. God wants us to know that in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God moved on the waters, face of the waters. So, know it, believe it, and go on. Verse number, I mean, go on through there. Verse number 28, 1, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every other living thing that moveth upon the earth. Oh, it says replenish. But in verse number 22, and God, and God blessed them and said, uh, God blessed them saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let, fa- and let, the, and let fowl multiply in the earth. That word fill the waters in the seas 
is the same Hebrew word translated by the King James Bible. Don't ask me why. But it's the same Hebrew word as replenish. Fill and replenish. And when you look up a definition of the word replenish, it means to fill. Like you're going to fill a bottle. <laughs> I replenished. There we go. Nope, they're not there. Not there. That's what it means. There we go. I got it right here. Replenish. No, I don't. Somewhere. Maybe not. Who cares? All right. Replenish. That's what it means. Yeah, there it is. Replenish. To fill. To stock with numbers or abundance. The magazines are, here's some examples. Our magazines are replenished with corn and the springs are replenished with water. And the Hebrew word there that both, both fill and replenish was uh, brought from, it means to fill or to be full of. And the Bible translators, King James Bible translators, used it to fill in verse, uh, chapter 1 of verse 22 and replenish in 128. He used it, uh, uh, the word filled in Genesis 6, 11. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And in 6.13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all the flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled, same word is replenished, with violence. Through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish. Same word is filled in other passages. Genesis 21, 19, and God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water, talking about Hagar, and she went and filled, there it is again, the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. Talking about when uh, the servant of Abraham went to find a bride for his son. Uh, and... She went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. You get the picture. We could go to Joseph, to Jacob, and so on and so forth. Jacob had to fulfill her week and, and, and get the daughter of Laban. And, and Genesis 29, 21, And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled. There is the same as replenish. To fool. And he fulfilled those days and he got his wife. And the same word in the Hebrew is translated there. So for whatever reason, having to do with man procreating and having children, both Adam and Eve and then Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, the Bible translators use the word replenish. When he talks about the whales and the fish of the sea, he said field. Same word in the Hebrew. We have to faith, have faith in, in, in his word about what it says about salvation, faith in his word, what it says about the law as it pertains to God and as it pertains to man. Genesis, we're, we're told, we're not under law. I know what Galatians 3, 24 through 26 says. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. There it is again. The just shall live by faith. We're justified by faith. We understand it's by faith. But again, you've got to first and foremost go to his word. I'm, my question is, going back to the creation, I can't help, my brother can't get away from this scripture when it comes to not using the King James Bible. 
because of my grandmother uh, teaching us this verse through the years. Revelation 22, verse number 18, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of this book of his prophecy, God shall take away his part apart his away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. For those that speculated, I know it, it happened in the 1700s, maybe even before that when I looked it up, 1700s and 1800s, those that speculated a period of time between Genesis 1-1 and verse, and verse number 2, is that not adding to the book in their speculation? God said, Adam knew Eve. She conceived. Cain and Abel was born unto them. That's what God wanted us to know. And then Cain killed Abel, and then Adam knew his wife, and they conceived and had Seth. That's what God wanted us to know. And then we read in Genesis chapter 5, the lineage from Seth all the way to Noah. And it says at the end of each of those men that they lived beyond the time that they had that particular boy, so many hundreds, uh, hundreds of years, and they, they, they had sons and daughters. But God didn't want us to know about all them sons and daughters. God wanted us to know about them that lineage. From Adam to Noah. What we do know about those sons and daughters is when I just read it a moment ago that uh, that in Genesis 6, 13, and God said to Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So, what we do know about all those, and no, they wasn't named, all those, you think about hundreds of years of having boys and girls, how many there was in this earth. God only wants us to know Seth or Adam to Adam through Seth to Noah. All the rest of them were wicked. All the rest of them became filled with violence. All the rest of them became corrupt before God. And that's what God wanted us to know about them. Anything else, is that not adding to the scripture? Just a thought. So what God wants us to know about is law as it pertains to God and as it pertains to man. Again, it is our schoolmaster so that we might come uh, for ye are see. Wherefore, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That's where I was trying to get to. That we might be justified by faith. But after that, faith is come. We are no longer under a schoolmaster. For we are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.5 Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. That is unhypocritical faith. That's the word feigned. Is unfeigned is unhypocritical. So, talking to Timothy here. From which some, having, swer having swerved, have turned aside into, into vain jangling, 
desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for a lawless, lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers, murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-sealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. It has a place if it's used lawfully. And what is that law? Uh, that, the law using lawfully is to bring us to Christ. It's to the unlawful. It's to help us understand that we are sinners before a thrice holy God. How do we know that he's holy? That book tells us. And by faith we believe that God is holy. And then by faith as we learn in Exodus chapter 20. And God spake all these words saying, I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We learn by God's word, and we have faith that this is a holy book. It is, it is set aside. It is, it is by fixed standards canonized together, and this is what we accept by faith and receive by faith as the full, inherent, infallible, pure word of God. And what he wants us to know is what is there, and what he don't want us to know, why speculate? Amen. And is speculation adding to the word of God? That's a question. I don't know. I've been thinking about it for several weeks. But he says, this is what he wants us to know about the law. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So if we do, then we're breakers of the law. Thou shalt make, not make unto thee any graven image, nor any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself uh, down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And showing mercy, hallelujah, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God, uh, uh, thy Lord, the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not, uh, will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's how the law pertains to God. And in just these Ten Commandments, there's a lot more of the law of God given to, and we know, I know, that was given to the children of Israel in that dispensation, however, just know this, that our founding fathers took this same holy book that I preached to you today and developed the laws that are in our constitution and the laws of this land based upon the principles and the laws of the word of God. In the engraving at the Supreme Court of the United States, in the center part, is Moses holding the Ten Commandments. In the rotunda of the capital of the, of the United States of America, as they were together in the Mayflower, putting together the Mayflower Compact, on the table is the authorized version, the King James Version of the Bible, depicted 
in that big painting, that big mural that's in our rotunda. So that book right there has, has been, uh, our laws have been developed from the laws of God as he gives them. And this is how it pertains to man. Uh, but six days thou shalt labor and do thy work as it pertains to God. The seventh day is a, a Sabbath day and, uh, uh, of the Lord. I put my marker in the wrong place. In it thou shalt, do not, uh, thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gate. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is within, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long on the, uh, upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet, covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So again, going back to the law, we are to have faith in his word about what the law says as it pertains to God and pertains to man. And so not only is the word law used, his commandments, but there's commandments in the New Testament as well and how we to interact one with another, that we are to be subject unto higher powers. A lot of people don't like that. Let every man, no, every soul. Is everybody in here a living soul? Every, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Ah, Mr. Biden ain't my president. Yes, he is. I don't like that law. Well, go out and vote and get you another representative to go change the law. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. I don't like that statement. Talk to God about it. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of, pow of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon the, them that do, him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For, for this cause pay ye tribute, it's tax time, folks, for, ye, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what the book says. And we're to have faith in that. I like what it says there, and, and I heard this phrase, I understand this phrase. In the last four years, 
operating under the radar. If you operate under the radar and then the radar hits you, have we not broken the law? If we're trying to skirt from the law, instead of just obeying the law, first and foremost out front wide open and then they can't have any accusation against us? Ain't that what we just read there? Talking about submission being subject to, subject, subjection, subjection, to fall under, to be in subject, subjection to, the law there, we see this here, we like this one, especially us men, submitting yourselves, we don't like that one, submitting yourselves unto uh, one another, uh, one to another in the fear of God, Ephesians 5, 21. And between 5 and 21 and 5 and 22, there's a division. He changes who he discusses, he, he's discussing with. You go to Ephesians 5, 21 belongs with the previous verses, if you look for the sentence, and that is pertaining to the church and how we as church members interact one with another. We are to submit each, to each other. We like to run to 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And that's right. For the husband is the head of the wife. Yeah, tell it, preacher. Even as the Christ is the head of the church and he is the Savior of the body, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And I remember now what, what Mrs. Hall said to me when she apologized. That's one of those other things that's been bugging me. Not that she was wrong, it's just that she said it in the company, maybe how she said it, but in the company of these other women. We were in a, in a fellowship hall type gathering, and I, I believe it was Brother Shock. I'm almost sure it was Brother Shock that I was referring to. And I was making reference to, and Brother Shock was this way. When I sat underneath him, he had his chair. And his wife and children could sit in his chair if he was not at home. But if he was at home, nobody sat in his chair. That's their prerogative. And when he got home, he come in and he sat in his chair. Why? Because he had done work 8, 10, 12 hours, and he's tired. And when he sat in his chair... There was a glass of tea that was headed his way. No questions asked. No requests made. It was just standard. And I knew that. And I made the statement along the lines of, you know, I wish my wife would do what his wife does for him and just bring me, have tea ready for me every day I get at home. And Mrs. Hall said, maybe if, again, she said it in front of some other women, she said, well, maybe if you'll find out how Brother Shock treats Mrs. Shock and you treat Lisa like he treats Mrs. Shock, then she'll treat you like, she, you know, she'll treat you like Mrs. Shock does him. 
And that was pretty good wisdom from my mother-in-law. But like she said it, in, again, in the company of about two or three other women, and it was in the wrong place. I, I took it. I didn't get mad or anything like that. I'm like, well, maybe you're right. But then later on she apologized, not for what she said, but for where she said it and who in front of she said it. She said, I was out of place. Please forgive me. I said, I forgive you. And other than, that's why I couldn't remember what exactly happened. I could just remember that I had respect to my mother-in-law all these years, and it come up again when she passed away because she admitted that she was wrong, and she asked for an apology and made things right with me. I remember that part until I was preaching this. And oftentimes, we want to say, wives, be subject to your own husbands, but she had a good point there. And it says, husbands, love your wives. So that was to her point. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So are we as husbands giving ourselves for our wives? We want our wives to be in submission. But are we loving our wives like Christ loved the church? Woo! See, we can go to so many other things that are in the Bible, not in the Bible. We can sit around, you know, the dinner table and we can speculate and we can talk and we can discuss and we can say, oh, this is wonderful and great. But what we need to do is just get back into, thus saith the Lord, and make application to where we're living. And when we get all of that accomplished, then maybe we can sit down and figure out where Cain got his wife. I don't care where Cain got his wife. Cain got his wife, he knew his wife, and had some children. That's what God wants me to know about it. Same with all the rest of them. But he also wants me to know to love my wife as God loved, as Christ loved the church. I, I'm still working on that. I ain't got time to figure out how Cain got his wife. Cain got his wife. Let's see here. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, unto Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands love your wives, even Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, Christ is loving the church, and he's given himself for it to do all those things, to sanctify and to present and so on and so forth. Men, let's turn it around here, Doug. Preacher, you can apply this to you while you're preaching it. I'm not preaching to myself. Preach, preacher, because I know that you're right. I know that you need some help in this area too. Men, not only do we have to worry about us and where we're following in our walk, but let's look at our wife. Are we leading them like Christ being the head of the church? Are we leading them in their spiritual growth? He's leading the church to present it, blameless and spotless and so on and so forth. Brother Chris, being a preacher out of church, all the more, 
Because when I sat down under Brother Hall, Brother Hall said a couple of things. When you coming in here working under the ministry here, he says, men are going to try to get to me and they, they won't be able to. But in not being able to get to me, they're going to get, try to get to me through my wife. And they're going to attack her and they're going to try to get to me through now my son-in-law who is now a member and on staff at the church. And if they can't get to you, they're going to get to you through your wife and your children. And if Christ will, will, will uphold and uh, will, will cleanse his wife, sanctify his wife, the church, and, and use the word of God to work in his wife's life, the church's life, that he might present the church, himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or anything or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. We go to the we go to first Timothy, uh, yeah, first Timothy, and we deal with the pastoral epistles, then there are certain things in the home to the preachers that people look at. Our wives, our children. Let's go ahead and grab that one since we're there. What it says about our children there. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given hospitality, apt to teach. I wanted to get to this one, and I said, no, I can't just apply that, but I can apply it, but it is, and I will put it into context. He's talking about the old preacher, talking to the young preacher here. Not given to wine, no striker, not filthy of, uh, greedy or filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetousness, covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. And I looked the word gravity up. It's not just what holds us down. <laughs> Although, but gravity, one of the definitions was seriousness, sobriety of manners, solemn, being solemn, of deportment or character. Can't snap my fingers like I used to. I got arthritis setting up in that knuckle, and it hurts. But I used to snap my fingers, and you could hear it throughout the church in a crowd talking. And when I snapped my fingers, all my children looked at me. And if I had something, either to call them down, I snapped my fingers, or if I had something I wanted somebody to do in the crowd, I'd just point and say, come here, and I'd give them instruction. They could hear my fingers snap. You say, you're saying, that hurts you're saying that because you're both. No, I'm not boasting. I'm just saying having them in subjection with all grace. We're, again, so busy. And I'm only, and I'm not targeting Brother Chris, but he used it as an example. And like, like last time he was here Wednesday, we're so busy trying to snooker <laughs> and to... Uh, to interact with the Mormons and so on and so forth, that we need to tie, we need to turn it around and say, where is my children living? And pump our time into them and our efforts into them and our wives, our families. Having his children in subjection with all gravity, they should be serious, the bride. So when you come into church and when you look at your children, say, sit down on that bench and stay there until I tell you to get up. You say, well, this brings to the preacher. Well, what's good for the goose 
It's good for the candy. This is the preacher example. And as the preacher, you shouldn't. And if you're the whose faith follow one of those deals, well, I haven't seen you in your interaction with your children, but you've seen my children. Well, you've got some that's not doing Yeah, I got some that's not doing right, but I got some that's doing right. They're serving God. They're in service. And you watch their children when they're here. I guarantee either one of my Jacob son-in-laws can point their finger and tell either one of their children to do something, and they're doing it. And they're doing it until they're told to undo it. And watch them make me a liar when they get here. But that's just the way it's supposed to be. You say, the children, yeah, so we're to have them in suggestion with all gravity. Subjection, they should be under your leadership. They should be under your command. And then he goes on, verse number 5, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God, not a novice, lest, any man, lest, lest being lifted up with pride fall into condemnation of the devil? And so, so there's that. And there's other subjections. So subjection of the... Uh, well, well to be, let's go ahead and grab these. Hebrews 12, 9, Furthermore, we have had fathers of the flesh. We talked about that last week which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? We're to be in subjection to the Father. We're to be in subjection to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2, 7 and 8. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that... He put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him. We're to fall under subjection of God the Father. And what the book says about him, be ye holy for I am holy. We're to fall under uh, uh, subjection of the Christ. He has commandments. Both of them have commandments in the New Testament. We're to fall under we're to be under subjection. We're to be under subjection to our masters, to the servants. We're to be under subjection to those that are, you know, are in authority. We're, the women are supposed to be in subjection to their husbands. We're all to be subjection one to another, according to Ephesians chapter 5.21. But again, that goes back to last week's message about our will. Well, that was God's will. But our will was mentioned in, in that message. We have to willingly put ourselves under. That's the tough part. Willingly put ourselves under. I will be subject to the powers that are higher above me. I will, women, I will be in submission and subjection to my husband. Huh. Church members, we will be in submission and subjection one to another. He speaks in, in, let's see, 1 Corinthians, let me make sure I got it right. He speaks by permission and not by commandment. He says that, and I will preface these verses by what he says there. Verse number 6 of 1 Corinthians 7, but I speak, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, I speak this by permission and not of commandment. But it's good instruction. Verse number 1, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, 
it is good for a man not to touch a woman. What happens when a man touches the woman? It could cause fornication. And he says to avoid fornication. This is the reason he said it in verse number one. Nevertheless, number two, nevertheless to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. That's when you can touch. Because the marriage bed is undefiled. Hallelujah. Hebrews 13. And that's why in the courtship of my, my Jacobs and my Anna or my Caleb, they shook hands when they greeted each other. They shook hands when they said goodbye to each other. But that's it. They didn't hold hands. There was no arm around any of them the whole time, not until their honeymoon. Then they got to take care of all that business. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. Let the woman rent, or let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and the hus and likewise also the husband hath not power over his body. People don't like that one. But the but of the wife. Or but the wife, defraud not ye, defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this with by permission and not by commandment. He says that, and I that's by permission. It says that it doesn't say in verse number one, "Thou shalt not touch a woman." Oh, thank the Lord. I'm glad it, it's better under the marriage covenant. And it doesn't say that you can't before the marriage covenant. But he said if you want to avoid fornication, it's good not to touch a woman. I'm just reading the book. So again, our home. We dealt with a rod back some time ago. People don't like this one either. So the, what the faith and what has his commandments, how it pertains to God, how we interact with God and man, in faith and what, how his word, what his word says about our business. You can go through the book of Proverbs, all through the book of Proverbs, all through the books. I just read you some of it, of, of masters and servants and servants and masters. And then you go to Proverbs and you can talk about, it talks about lending and not, not being a co-signer. And it talks about a whole bunch of things that pertain to life. That we need to get a hold of. I've got a, a book, and it's called Business by the Book, and it's about running your business on the precepts and the and and the and the and the precepts and the just say the precept the precepts of the, this book, the Word of God, how you can run your b b u i s i n e s s b u s i n e s s business by those precepts and get get along better, but. We're so concerned about everything else. We can read the book and find about what it says about God, what it says about man and our dealings with all the gospel and, and justification and salvation, and then running our business, our home, and going to our home again. We kind of touch it on it a little bit. But there's so much in there that we need to devote our time to instead of sitting around and thinking about things that ain't in there. 
Psalm 89. Here's God's example. Psalm 89. Did God do this to his children? Sure he did. He's talking about David here and how that he, he anointed David to be king, anointed David, David to be king, and that he promised David that through his seed there would be one risen up, which we know that through the seed of David came Christ. Genealogies in Matthew and in Luke. That's what he's dealing with in Psalm 89. 89, 29, His seed also will I make to endure forever in his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity, iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness. Now, did he do that out of hatred? No. He did that out of love for the children of Israel. What? Hitting them with a rod? Putting stripes on their backs? Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing which that is gone from my lips once I have sworn by my holiness, that will I not lie. In other words, I mean, he was reminded of that by Moses. God, God said, I want to destroy, I'll raise up into you some seed, Moses. <laughs> Moses says, that's not what you told our fathers. I'm paraphrasing. And what, is the, what will the Egyptians say if you do that? And he swore by his holiness to do these things for David. And he's going to do that. But they, when, they, when they strayed, he visited them, their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. So he set the example. Uh, Proverbs. Or, uh, yeah, and then, here, there's another thing too. Psalm 23, we, we read it and we find comfort in it, you know, especially at times of funerals. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23, 4, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Huh. Have we gotten to a place in our Christianity where when God lays the rod on us, <laughs> we find comfort in that? Woo. I find comfort in knowing that he's my father because he doesn't do that to, his, to any bastards. He only does that to the, his children. So I find comfort in knowing that I'm his child because when I am wrong, he has laid on the stripes. Hallelujah. And I, you know, in light of my parents' death, my mom, my dad's death, especially my dad, you know, you think about all the, think, all the times you think that you got away with something that you should have got a spanking for and didn't. And I, you know, in light of their death, I would say, I wish... I wish that I hadn't got away with that. I wish he would have found out. I wish he would have corrected me in that. It would have saved me grief down the road. But Proverbs, you give wisdom to Solomon. Withhold not correction, verse number 20, chapter 23, 13, and 14. Withhold not correction. Again, Christ or God being our example in Psalm 89. Let's go with Proverbs 22. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. 
but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 13, 24, I missed this one. He that spareth the rod, it doesn't say, he that spareth the rod, spoil the child. That ain't what it says. It's not in the Bible. But this one is in the Bible. Proverbs 13, 24, he that spareth the rod hateth his son. I love my son. You do. Well, you do you hit him with a rod? You hit her with a rod? No, I love him too much. No, the Bible says you hate him. I want to just put him in time out. Well, then you hate your son. I didn't write it. He that spareth the rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him... Chasteneth him betimes. Again, and then Proverbs 23, 13, 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for it, and this is the, what the Bible uses, I know, in the day that we live in, but this is the word it uses. Let me read it again. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. He might sound like he's going to, but he's not going to. Thou shalt beat with him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. I love my son. I'm not going to hit him with the rod. Well, the Bible says you hate him. The Bible says you're not going to deliver him from hell. That's implied here, opposite of what the Bible tells us. It says love him, you'll chasten him. You'll chasten him betimes. You love him, you're going to put the rod on him. You love him, or if, uh, and, in, and if, by putting the rod on him, you're going to deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs 29, 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Amen. There's some other scriptures here. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter, and then we're going to go eat. Again, we're here in Proverbs. Solomon was given wisdom because he didn't, he didn't ask for. Well, rewind. He asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom. And God gave him all the other stuff on top of wisdom because he didn't ask for all the other stuff. He just simply asked for wisdom to be able to lead as a king, to lead the children of Israel, God's people, as a king. And he wrote all those Proverbs, and he wrote Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And Ecclesiastes, it talks about the preacher, so he writes it as a preacher. That's it. Oh, I was, yeah, speaking of when, when did you go hit that? Well, sitting around, you know, we are told to proclaim the gospel, not to debate the gospel. Go ye into all the world and preach. The preach the gospel. So you get up, you preach it, you teach, you declare it, whatever word you want to use there. The Bible says preach the gospel to every creature. It's the church's, the church's um, commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So you declare it, and then God takes it, and once you declare it, it's on him. Just like, and he gives the analogy, just like those sowing the seed. And it's not just poking a hole and putting the seed in the hole. It's broadcasting the seed. 
broadcasting the seed like you would with grass seed, broadcasting the seed. And he says some will fall on good ground. Some's going to fall on stony ground. Some of it's going to be eaten up, you know, fowls of the air is going to come by and snatch it away. But it's the sower's job to sow the seed. Once it leaves your hand, that's all, and people don't understand that. There's where the one, two, three-ers get in. No, we gotta, we got to lead them in a prayer. No, you have to proclaim, you have to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to your family. Preach the gospel to, to every creature. Preach the gospel to those religious folks that believe it another way. Preach it. Preach it. Just say, thus saith the word, the Lord. Not what do you believe about, and I don't think, no, just God says this, and leave it. Preach the gospel to every creature. And then his word is not going to return unto him void, but that's on him, not on us. So the Armenians get off on one ditch, and the Calvinists get off on another ditch. But we just go out and preach the gospel and leave it up to him. Be faithful to do so, because guess what? There is what we're going to be that a servant be, or a steward be found faithful. Not count the numbers. I mean, we don't have those kind of numbers, but you see it. We went out on Thursday night prayer meeting or Thursday night visitation, you know, and there was 25 of us went out and, you know, and then 100, 100 professed Christ. And then Sunday morning we baptized 10. Where's the other 90? <laughs> did they ever show up to church? That other 90? How long did the 10 last? And those hundred professions, those people that went out have made two, four, two-fold more child of the devil. Of hell. Because the same people that think that just because you go through the baptism waters, you're fine, and then goes out, and there's never been a new, and there's never been a change. Never been a change in heart. Because they're trusting in the water salvation, they're trusting in the 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 uh, mechanics of religion, and then they'll you know they'll be on their deathbed and they'll hang on to some baptismal certificate that's hanging on their wall. Now they've lived like the devil all those years, but they're gonna hang on to a baptism. I remember when I was twelve. And I went and they baptized me. Did you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Did you ever ask him to save you? Repenting of your sin? Realizing you were a sinner? No, I just got wet. But they said I was okay. The conclusion of the whole matter. Solomon writing. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Uh, yeah. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Amen. Fear God and he keep his commandments. Does he command you to, to 
believe the gospel? <laughs> if you want to be saved, he does. If you want to go to heaven, he does. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me just read it. You've heard it read here many, 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 many times and quoted many, 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 many times. There it is again. And that was the Old Testament. But Paul writing to, to the Rome, Romans there in chapter 14, verse number 12, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You're going to stand and give account. Romans chapter 10. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. What word? The word of God. Is this truly that holy book? Is this truly what God wants us to know? And if so, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and, thou shalt, and, and, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That's the message today. We're going to have a song of invitation. You might have heard a lot of ways to get to heaven. There's only one. You're going to have to believe, you say, again, our salvation believes on what we believe about that book. Not Brother Bell's preaching, not any other preacher's preaching. Not anybody's teaching. Our faith and doctrine goes back to that book. Our belief goes back to that book. What we believe about God, what we believe about Christ. Brother Glenn spoke of it in, in the Sunday school hour, how that it pleased God. And it satisfied God to see the travail of his son. I'm not quoting it. I'm just saying that he, he quoted it out of Isaiah 53. That God, that Jesus Christ, we was there last week. Jesus Christ asked if it would be God's will that this cup would pass from him. But he went on to say, not my will, but thine be done. It was God's will that Jesus Christ go to the cross. And the reason he went to the cross was because he died for our sins. That we, re we sang of redemption right before I preached. Redemption talks about the price paid for something. You have the coupons. If you read the print, it says, take this coupon down to Winco or wherever you chop and redeem it for. It uses the word redeem. Redeem it for a dollar off on this product. This coupon is good for a dollar of redemption off of that product. The only thing 
that God the Father will accept when you stand before Him in judgment and you give account for your sins, the only thing that He is going to accept is the blood of Jesus Christ. Has the blood of Jesus Christ been applied to you? You know, I can have that coupon in my wallet. I could be at Winco. I can purchase that product. But until I pull that coupon out of my wallet and give it to the cashier, no redemption takes place. I pay full price for that product. And until you have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to you by grace through faith in Him, then the product, that, that coupon, His blood has not been applied to you. But once it has, it's there forever. Eternally redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed, how? By the blood of the Lamb. While we sing this song, if the Lord spoken to you, I invite you to come.